The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. We're, we're entering into like season eight of the Gospel of Mark, and it's a, a long season. It's longer than what I've heard this last season of the Game of Gnomes is. But it's interesting to me because this miracle we're looking at today is the last healing that Jesus is going to perform in the Gospel of Mark. There's going to be a, a miracle of a fig tree, and there's going to be the miracle of the resurrection. But as far as Jesus healing people, something he's been doing over and over and over again, this is the last one, and I think it's important to see why. Now, you may be asking if you're following along. We go verse by verse through the Bible. We're actually jumping over a part because we, we mentioned it and lumped this portion in, and I'm just going to tell you what happened. Jesus, three times in the Gospel of Mark, says, I'm going to die. And every time his followers have a terrible response. The first time he tells, tells his disciples, I'm going to die, and Peter says, Lord, you cannot die. And then Jesus has the famous line, get behind me, Satan. And then he tells his disciples again, I'm going to die. And when he tells them the second time, they start arguing who's the best among them. And then the third time, here in Mark chapter 10, he says, I'm going to die. And then two brothers, James and John, ask Jesus, hey, when you are on your throne, can we sit on your right and your left side? Over and over and over again, they couldn't see, they couldn't understand, they didn't understand at all what God's plan was in sending Jesus to die. They thought this whole time that Jesus was rising to a physical throne in their time at that place, but that was not God's plan. They were blind to God's plan, and then you come to the story we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. So we're going to pray, we're going to jump in. Father, we all have blind spots Lord, we all have blind spots that are tailored to see the best in ourselves and often the worst in others. Lord, we all have spiritual blind spots where we think our doctrine must be the most right, the most true, the most correct. But Lord, you, you are the God above all. Your ways are so much higher than our ways. So humble us this morning. Help us to have an acknowledgement of our blindness, spiritually, relationally, socially. Help us to understand that we, we can't possibly know everything perfectly because we are fallen, broken humans. Lord, help us to learn from Bartimaeus this morning. And I pray for those in here who are examining you and, and wondering about you and questions about you, Lord, I pray that today you would open their eyes, the eyes of their heart, so that they may behold you. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples a great and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And look at this next part. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind men, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. May God bless the reading of his word. 
these, these stories to me are always so interesting because you wonder if miracles like this still happen. You wonder if, if things like this happen today. And I have a little, it's a personal story that I just wanted to share with you. And I'm sure he'll probably listen to this. Um, my dad, about a month and a half ago, hurt his back. He's, he's getting up there in age, you know, and he still plays basketball. He tells me he's a very dominant player in the 60 and over league, okay? This is my father. But he's in his 60s and still was playing. He hurt his back so bad that he couldn't walk normal. He couldn't sleep well. He couldn't drive without extreme pain. He went to the doctors, and it was just, you know, wait it out, let it heal. And, and my dad, he's never been much of a church-going man. He grew up in the Catholic church um, when he was younger. My, my Filipino side of the family were all all very Catholic, so all my uncles are named after the Catholic saints. You have Gregory, my father. You have Lawrence. You have um, Anthony. You have all these Catholic saint named sons, but then he, my dad pulled away, and in the midst of this journey that I've been on, he's, he's dabbled and said, you know, maybe, I, maybe I'll believe in God now, but, you know, I don't know about Jesus or the Bible, and then he had this back injury, and I don't know where he is in the process, but during this back injury, it hurt so bad when he was going to work, he would get out of his car. He drives a lot for his work. And when he tried to get out of his car, he said it took him 10 minutes or more just to be able to walk into a building because of this back pain. And he walked into one particular building. Uh, this would be three weeks ago now. And he got into an elevator, and there must have been a grimace on his face because a man was in there in a suit, and they were going up to the same floor. And the man asked my dad if he was all right, and my dad said, I've, I hurt my back really bad. It's just making it painful to do this stuff for work. It, it's, I can't sleep. I can't walk. I can't do anything. I'm in constant pain, and the doctors haven't found a way to help me yet. And the guy asked, hey, would you mind if I prayed for you? Now, this is not my, the type of person that would say yes is not, is not my dad. He's not that type of person. But the person who asked to pray for my dad didn't just say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then walk out of the elevator. My dad said yes, and you need to picture this. This is a a very strong man who's not wanted to submit to a religion, in an elevator with a stranger wearing a suit, my dad says yes, and the man puts his hand right on my dad's back. My dad said, I didn't tell him where the pain was, but it was a, a small focused area of extreme pain, and his hand went right onto my back where it hurt, and he prayed for me. And he goes, Ryan, I'm telling you, something weird happened. <laughs> my body felt weird in the elevator, and the rest of the day, I felt odd, and I went home, and I took a nap, and I woke up, and my back was like 70% better. So I said, I'm, I went back to sleep, and I woke up the next morning, and my back felt 100%. Yeah. And then he goes, I need to go to a church. <laughs> so that was, that was three, this is the third Sunday since then. He got, he's gone to two churches. And, um, and he's asked me for recommendations, but I don't want to guide him too much. You know, I don't like, do I guide him? Do I tell him, like, don't go to this church, like Baha'i faith, bad? You know, I don't know. I'm trying to navigate this. But he'll, he'll call me afterwards and say, I went to this church. And he'll, he'll ask me questions about it and if I have any recommendations still. But what's, what's fascinating to me is he goes, you know, there might be something to this God thing that you do. I say, you know, Dad, there just might be. People say, well, I don't know if there's miracles, and the one's ever happened to me. And some of you may have been praying for back pains, brain cysts, cancers, illnesses, uh, all these things for so long. And you may wonder, why, why isn't it happening? We, we can't always explain why and where and the whens. But I've seen enough of it throughout my life to know that sometimes God does some things in some amazing ways. And I'm going to trust and believe that he'll do those things, which is why we don't stop praying. And I've been guilty of pray, prayer stopping. 
when you've prayed for something for so many years, you think, oh, God must have this on repeat up there. God says to bug them. And in this case, I wonder how many times a blind man was looking for healing. I wonder how often a blind man dreamt about seeing. I don't know if this particular man in this story alone, you can't tell, like, what was his condition before? But I've, I've tried to do blind experiments. I don't know if you guys have done these things. When I read the Bible sometimes, I think, I wonder what it would be like. So there have been days of my life when I was younger where I would blindfold myself. I'd wake up and say, this is the blind day. And I'd blindfold myself, and I would just try to walk around my house. If you've never tried this, it is fascinating how many things are meant to murder your pinky toe. It's, a, it's like a, a hellish, hellish, devilish trap that these things are all around your house. It's, you had no idea because we take our peripheral for granted. This blind man sitting by the roadside heard Jesus was coming. By now, Jesus' ministry is coming to its fullest point. He's about to go into what we studied right before Easter, the triumphal entry, where people are saying, save us now, save us now, praise God. They thought he was coming to sit on the throne then and overthrow the Roman government. So now his popularity is big. People know that he heals, and this guy cries out because he had a need. He had something that he needed changed in his life. Some of you might be in that position today. It may not be blindness, but it may be. Just before service, the tech, our tech director, Corey, and I were talking because he sat in his glasses and broke them. And we thought, we were talking about this, and we're like, we're middle-aged men. You know, I'm some a little more middle than others. Um, just saying, man, isn't it crazy when you get used to these thinking things? And I try to not use them as much as possible. But you get used to it. And then you take it off, and it's like watching a blurry YouTube video everywhere you look. You put them back on, you go back to your Sony 4K TV. I wonder what it is that, that's in your life that God is saying, I, I need this here so you'll cry out to me. Paul had a, an affliction, and he cried out to God and cried out to God, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. God wants us to know that his grace, his favor, his love is all that we need. Now, there will be glimpses where blind men get healed. Because it's what the kingdom will look like. The kingdom of heaven in the future is there is no more blindness. There is no more deafness. There is no more lameness. There is no more disease. There is no more death. And Jesus came to show us little tiny tastes. Like going to Baskin Robbins or the, or the Menchies where you get those miniature cups. And you get to taste all the flavors. Jesus says, this is what my kingdom will taste like. I need you to understand this. But I think Jesus and then specifically Mark putting this story right here because the disciples couldn't see, they couldn't see, they couldn't see the truth. And Jesus is like, I'm, I'm here to open up every type of eyes, spiritual eyes, physical eyes. I'm here to help people see. And this man wanted to see it. He wanted it bad. He began to cry out. What, what always interests me is that verse 48 says, And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Sometimes when you cry out to God, People around you in religion specifically will, will try to hush you down. One of my favorite moments uh, was at the last church I was at. We had pews. Do you guys remember pews? Pews are like long, comfy nap benches, okay? And during VBS, these kids would just go on these pews, and they would just run on the pews. And every year, 
there would be somebody in there because this was a church that at one point in time you could buy a pew and it would be sponsored by your family with a little plaque name on it, like, you know, the, the whatever family in the back. And these kids would just be jumping on the pews, worshiping Jesus, and somebody would come by because they want to see the cute children, and they would be aghast with terror. Somebody is jumping on my family pew. Now, whether or not you think it's right, I need you to understand this, that, that hundreds of kids would make decisions for the Lord year after year at these VBSs. And if a little pew spring damage is the cause of a kid giving his life to Jesus, break all the pews. Every year that we have VBS here, you know, Jared said his, he wants to, his goal is to make a, an enormous mess up here. As a senior pastor, it warms my heart. I want this building to get so thrashed by the VBS kids that it's, it's never the same again. I want there to be stains that have never been stained. I love this little strip of paper that's flapping up on the roof over here because that was from a VBS years ago where they shot streamers into everywhere and somehow that tassel got stuck there and it used to be red and it's been stained out by the fake lights in this room. But it reminds me that kids came to Jesus in this building and that the air conditioning is working. Amen? <laughs> At times, religious people will say, be silent. Don't bother the teacher. But the blind man cried out. He didn't care. He knew he had nothing to give, nothing to bring. He said, I just need some help. Shh, stop. I went to a church once. It was a, it was a big church. It was a um, little more conservative. And I was visiting because it it's a very famous church in Southern California um, with one of my favorite Bible teachers. And I didn't know the rules of the church. Every church has their own rules. At this particular church, I was younger in my faith, and I was, I love, I love the music aspect of worshiping. I love, I just move with it, and I, you know, do the hand thing. I'm that guy, you know, I'm like, touchdown, carry the TV, I'm that guy. I'm doing all the hand things, surrender, heartburn, the whole nine yards. At this particular church, it was a church of about 10,000 people, I didn't know that you weren't allowed to raise your hands. And I remember the feeling when they were singing songs that I knew, and I was waiting for a pastor who I love, and I was lifting my arms up, and I was standing at a center aisle at this church. I was, I was on the center aisle seat, and I was, like, I was there with all our college group. I was like, yeah, singing to Jesus. And all of a sudden, I had both arms up, and I felt, I felt the presence, not of the Lord, but of an usher grabbing my arm and pushing my arm down in the middle of a song. I was like, and I thought, because my eyes were closed. So you, imagine how scary it is. My eyes are closed, and then all of a sudden, like, ooh, there's a spirit of oppression in this place. No, Lord, I will fight this, you know. Just, but it was the usher, and then they, they pushed my arm down. My other arm was still up, and I'm like, looking, I'm like, what in the, because I was freshly saved. I was still like, I will punch you saved. Like, I wasn't like, I will hug you saved. And I looked over, and he goes, you're not allowed to raise your hands here. And because I'm an honorary Christian, I was like, but the Bible says to raise your hands here. And, um, and I didn't raise my hands because I submitted to my authorities. But I never went back there. We make rules in religion to, to act a certain way. If it's not in the Bible, if it's not the heart of God, if it's not passionate about leading people to love Jesus more, live for Jesus more, feed the poor and the, the hungry, to care for the orphans and the widows, to make disciples of Jesus who make more disciples of Jesus. If it's not related to that and it's not in the Bible, it doesn't matter. There's no verse in the Bible about kids partying for Jesus, jumping on pews or chairs. Now, it's not my cup of tea. I come in here at VBS. It's crazy. It's, last year, one of the characters' name was Dr. Booger, like booger. Yeah. Every time the kids saw them, they cheered, ah. There's smoke machines. Like, we're, I'm not doing smoke machines here. 
We're not going to have laser beam lights. But whatever it takes. And if, if someone tries to put something on you, a religious rule that you're like, I don't know if that's in the Bible, get in the Bible and find out. If someone says, don't raise your hands, and you see a verse in the Bible that says, lift up holy hands to God. If you, see a, if you see someone say, drums should never be allowed in church, you go show them the verse that says, bang and clash cymbals. And the drummer, amen. You know, the, the, ah! <laughs> That's so good. Because I've been at churches where the only instrument allowed is a piano or an organ. They don't let guitars there. Guitars are just modern-day liars, L-Y-R-E, like the stringed instruments. Praise God with the clapping of hands. Now, this doesn't say this in the Bible, but I think it's implied. Don't clap if you have no rhythm, okay? <laughs> There's nothing worse to the worship team when they're clapping on two and three. There's nothing worse. When they're up here trying to strum, and you're like, <laughs> just don't do that. Don't do that. Just don't do that. Just mumble for Jesus. Just sway. If you sway slow enough, you'll find the rhythm eventually. Every clock is, every broken clock is right twice a day, they say, you know. You got this, fam. See, this guy cries out. He cries out despite religious rebuke. He cries out despite the fact that there's probably a dozen other people crying out for him because they would congregate together in areas where they would have people give them things. So there were probably other blind men, other people who couldn't walk, other deaf people, but this guy cried out. And my favorite words uh, in this passage, Jesus stopped. He stopped. And he said, call him. Jesus stopped because this guy was crying out. And they were trying to stuff him down and silence him. And he said, I don't care. I will cry out because I need Jesus. I will cry out even if it makes me look crazy, if it makes me look foolish, if it makes me not fit in. I will cry out. And Jesus stopped and called him. And I love this. Keep in mind, he's blind. He's blind. Verse 50, a blind man throws off his cloak, and he sprang up like a daisy and came to Jesus. I, don't, I tried to walk around blind. It is incredibly difficult. Like, don't do the pretend thing. Don't go home today and be like, I'm going to try to be blind in my living room, and I'm just going to close my eyes. No, 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 no. Like, go to Nordstrom or Macy's, go to Menchie's yogurt, blindfold yourself, and have your spouse try to direct you to get a frozen yogurt cup with no eyeballs. It changes your world. This guy says, I got a cloak on. I'm getting this cloak off of me. Presumably because the, the cloak is heavy, because the cloak is something that had weighed him down. The cloak is something that was hindering him from getting to Jesus. You know, like when, um, back when, you, when you're younger, People get in fights. I don't know why people do this in fights. It's the weirdest thing to me. But there's so many street fights where I've seen where people are like, yeah, I'm about to fight. And we all have seen this one guy, whether in real life or on YouTube, and they just take their shirt off. It's like, we're about to fight. It's stripped down. I guess because it's weird to fight a half-naked person. But, but they say it's because, like, you don't want someone to, like, be able to grab your shirt. You don't want someone, something to hinder you from, from accomplishing what you want to accomplish. The same is going on with this blind man. He's like, whatever's going on, whatever's going to keep me from getting to Jesus, I want to get there as fast as I can. There's a verse that, that I always think about when I think about this concept. It's from Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. I think it's going to be up on the screen behind me. 
very popular passage. It says, therefore, right after it talks about all the men and women of the faith who have gone before us and who are looking down on us. He says, because you have this cloud of witnesses in the heavens, because of that, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This verse, I mean, it's a, it's a prepackaged sermon. Run light. Get rid of anything that hinders you from Jesus. Run long. Christianity is not a sprint. There are a lot of people who come in and they sprint in. They're like, I'm into Jesus. And then three months later, they're out of Jesus. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And then keep your eyes on Jesus. Run light, run long, keep your eyes on Jesus. This blind man starts off and he's saying, I got I to gotta get rid of some of these things that are holding me back. Some of you have things that you got to get rid of that are holding you back. Christianity, it's not a sin management system. Christianity is something where we don't just say what's sin and what's not sin so I could not do sin. It's anything that keeps you from running long after Jesus. It may not be a sinful thing, but if it keeps you from running long after Jesus, just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. And I've done this before. Like nobody's saying I'm going to go on a run except for the weird people. And I just want to get a backpack full of sand. At physical therapy, they, they start putting ankle weights on me. Now, I used to use ankle weights a long time ago when I played basketball and could actually jog. Now I'm using ankle weights to walk like two miles an hour. And I, I have these ankle weights on, and then they put rubber band things on my legs. So I'm, I'm a walking infomercial for Jazzercise just every week, three times a week. It's interesting to me because they're, they're doing that so that I can walk better. Like I'm suffering so I can walk better in the future. Some of us will go through things that will try us, that will test us. But some of us all too eagerly throw on cloaks that slow us down. And like I said, these could be sinful things or they could just be things that we allow to get between us and Jesus. For example... You could have a chronic addiction to some thing, substance, uh, pornography, whatever. You could be addicted to this thing, looking at spouses that are not your own, anger, rage, whatever it is, lying, exaggeration. You could have this addiction. You know, like that in the Bible, we call all these things sins. And these things keep me from running as fast after Jesus as I have the ability to now because I've been freed. We don't have to carry a backpack of these burdens around. We don't have to put on cloak after cloak of things that hinder us from getting to Jesus. Hebrews tells us, and the blind man shows us, throw off anything. Throw off anything. Maybe for you, the thing that you throw off is just something simple. Like Maybe for some of you, you're like, I'm just going to give up coffee. I feel like I lean on coffee for energy, and I want to lean on God's energy. I know some of you are like, blasphemy. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's, that's a neutral thing that some of us, depend on way too much. As I point to myself, my finger's literally shaking because all I've had today is coffee. Some of us may lean on other things. We may lean on our spouse to encourage us toward Jesus. And if we lean too hard, if we focus too much on the family, that's why I've never, I've always thought that was a weird name for a ministry. You, it's good to focus on the family, just not too much. Because sometimes family becomes our God. Or if we only clean up our language around our children, who's the mediator of our language? 
the love of Christ inspiring us to speak only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs? Or is it our children? Are the children around us the ones who keep us clean-mouthed? Because in that case, you've made them, for that area of your life, your God. You've let them control something about you. And here's, I'm not saying go home and like talk like a sailor around your kids. What I'm saying is go home and realize that there's a reason why Jesus said, your language that I've given you is to build people up, not tear people down. Because some of the default in humanity is to just tear down, tear down, tear down. The Bible calls other things complaining, grumbling, gossiping, slandering. We don't talk about those sins in the church as much, but we will. We will. Because those are the dangerous ones. Church talks about the big sins outside. Sexuality, abortions, drunkenness. It's pretty rare that we're like, we're going to have a sermon about gluttony today. Next week is gossip. The week after that is words that hurt. That's what I preach on when I want to shrink the church size, when it's just becoming too manageable. <laughs> if you want to grow the church, we're going to do a marriage series and talk about sex, baby. You want to shrink the church because you're having an angry time as a pastor? We're going to talk about finances every week and then gossip. That way I just can hang out with myself in a book. <laughs> Cry out to God. If there's religious, even if there's religious people saying, be quiet, cry out to God. And when, when he said, when Jesus stops and says, come on, throw aside anything that's keeping you from Jesus. Get rid of every distraction, every Netflix, every Hulu, every Amazon Prime, every cable, every sport, every restaurant, every hour, whatever is keeping you from Jesus. And hear me, none of those things inherently will keep you from Jesus. I've been brought to tears thinking about Jesus watching documentaries about plants. If you've never seen the Life documentary, it has a plant in like fast, sped up motion growing. And I just think, God, you're so amazing. Because I can't ever see that. The only grass that I see grows is my Florida grass. It grows behind you as you mow it. And I don't like that. <laughs> Cast aside anything that keeps you from Jesus. Ask God in the morning to give you a single vision to run light, to cast those things away, to run long, to be in a marathon race for Jesus and to keep your eyes on Jesus. This guy could not yet keep his eyes on Jesus like it talks about in Hebrews 12. And Jesus says to a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? What if Jesus asked you that today? What do you want me to do for you? I know what some of you would say. Winning lottery numbers would be nice. I wouldn't complain, which is silly. You don't have to do that. Jesus made gold and diamonds. You know, Lord, direct my hand to the winning lottery. You have better odds of just saying, Lord, let a pile of diamonds fall out of the sky and smack me in the face. Odds are probably better for that one. Some drug cartel plane going down up above because they, <laughs> they chartered a Boeing 337 or whatever, you know, and just crashed. Better odds. What are you asking for if Jesus, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this is interesting because I wouldn't think to ask that of a person who was blind. If I were Jesus, which I'm not, you can thank the Lord because I'm not kind like Jesus is kind. He's making me, he's helping me, but it's a work in progress. But if I were Jesus and a blind guy comes up to me and says, Jesus, I need you, Jesus, I need you, I'd look at him and I'd say, you need eyeballs. Just like 
If someone came up to me in a wheelchair and said, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? I've been dying to walk. I'd be like, oh, are you sure you want to walk? You only get one shot. You could have anything. Jesus, what do you want from me? He wanted him to say it out loud, I think. He wanted the blind man's faith to be declared in front of all the people who had said, shh, don't talk to him. We're busy. Jesus is busy. He's about to be the king. Shh. And the blind man was there, and, and I think Jesus just wanted him. Because when God asks a question, it's not for his benefit. He knows the answer. It's for our benefit. He wanted the blind man to say it out loud in front of the crowds that were looking down on him. He, remember, he can't see him. He's here in this hustle and bustle, the people that have shushed him. He threw off his cloak. He pressed his way in, and he hears this voice that he presumes is Jesus. And Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, I just I want to see. I want to see. And I'm sure if he's anything like any human I've ever known, he wondered, is this going to work? I've heard the stories. Remember the other stories of Jesus healing blind men? There's one story where it says Jesus spit in the mud, took the mud, put it on a blind man's eyes and said, go wash in the pool. And when he washed off the spit mud, he could see. That's probably the most popular healing of a blind story that this Bartimaeus guy had heard. This is my twisted brain, but I'm thinking Bartimaeus is sitting there blind as a bat. He's saying, Lord, I want to see. And he's just waiting for someone to spit in the ground. Jesus didn't spit. Jesus didn't touch him. Because Jesus doesn't have to do things the way he's done it before. He might do things differently in your life than he does in your neighbor's life, than he does in your spouse's life, than he does in your child's life. He just says, you want your sight? Cool. Go on your way. Your faith, your faith has made you well. Now, it's not his faith in general. It's his faith in a specific person. Here's what I, I need to caveat. I always caveat this because there's always new people. If you're not getting healed, it's not necessarily because of your lack of faith. It's my least favorite thing to hear people say to a sick person, you just don't believe enough. You don't have enough faith. Because there have been people that I've seen that have gone to their death with great faith. There are times where the purposes of God are not easy. There's this, the, the prosperity gospel is a famous gospel that's preached on television. And it, there's all these weird promises. If you come to Christ, your life's going to get easier. You'll have more wealth. You'll be healthier as a person. Literally does not take into account any of the major characters in the entire Bible. Even the rich ones had horrendous things happen to them. You might think, Solomon, he was loaded. Wealth given to him by God. Yeah, he had relationships with nearly a thousand women. I can barely handle one woman. That's a lot of woman to deal with. Not only that, his child died. He fell away from God. He pursued parties and drunkenness and alcohol and feasts. He, got, he didn't just buy the CD. He bought bands. He didn't just rent out a park. He bought forests. The parties that he hosted were uh, tens of thousands of people a night. They were clearing out vineyards and entire crops for these parties because he turned away from God. 
Now, you may think, yeah, I want all that money. I want to party that much. I want to do all these things. When he cried out to God, when Solomon cried out to God, what had to happen to him was he had to realize the futility of all the things that he thought would satisfy him. He had to realize that the things he thought gave him vision for life were actually blinding him. And it was his faith in God alone that made him well again. It's easy to place your faith in other things. I wonder what this guy thought the first time he saw Jesus. I wonder what I will think the first time I see Jesus. Um, You know that song, I Can Only Imagine, it's been played like three billion times since 1994? They still play it all the time. And um, it still gets me right here all the time. Even though it sounds like it's from like the 90s, when that song comes on, and specifically when it comes on at a funeral, I'm just over. It's like we're talking, you combine the sadness of the Titanic and Lion King when Mufasa died and every worst nightmare you've had. You combine all that pain into one moment. That's a tear factory. I wonder if what this guy thought when Jesus said, go your way, your faith in him, your faith in the ability of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, the ability to restore eyesight in Jesus has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. Just boom. And now for the first time, he's seeing Jesus. I mean, the first thing you get to see is Jesus. The reason why we, t- we talk about our death, the reason why Jesse and I have started this club, Team Die for Jesus, is because we want to see Jesus. I don't want to see Peter. I don't care about those weird traditions. I don't care about a pearly gate. If I go up there and the first thing I see is a pearl, I'm like, what's up with that? Or if I see Peter, who in my mind is like just blue collar, one of those guys with like latch, just big old fisherman pulling up nets. And for some reason, he's always a redhead, even though like redheads weren't even a thing over there. I see this Peter next to a pearly gate. I'm like, get out of my way. Where is Jesus? I came here for Jesus. I love Jesus. This guy, the first thing he got to see was Jesus. When my baby wakes up, she's, uh, she turns a year next month. When she gets up out of her crib, which rarely I ever get her. Ne- rarely do I ever get her up out of her crib. Because when Amy gets her out of the crib, or when Guy, Melody, gets her out of the crib, my mother-in-law, baby's just like, ha, yay, you know, whatever babies do. When I get my child, my own flesh and blood, out of her crib, this is her face. I open the door. She thinks it's me or my mother-in-law. So there's this smile. And then my big head lumbers over the crib. And it goes from this to this. And I just look at her and I say, you traitor. No, I don't do that. Yes, I do sometimes. And I pick her up. And then when I pick her up, if mom's not home, if mother-in-law's not there, all she's doing is just looking around for mom. Where are they at? Where's the people that actually love me, Dad? Where's the people that feed me? Because I'm not good at feeding people. The babies are boring to me. Let's just be honest. But they're just looking around. I'm like, I'm right here, sweetie. I love you. Now, if my wife's holding her, she'll look over at me, and she does her hand thing where she goes, kiss the queen, you know, and she puts her hand out like that. But if I'm holding her, she's just looking around. Where's my true caretakers? I wonder. I wonder what this guy's next piece of life was. 
I wonder if he went back to his blind friends and said, you've got to meet this guy. He looked around for the first time, saw trees for the first time, looked up at the clouds in the sky for the first time, went and saw the streets that he lived on for the first time. I think that's where that song came from. For the first time in forever. That was just for you parents of frozen addicts. This is what God wants to do in your life. There's a verse in Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. It's not talking about your eyeballs. It's talking about the, the vision of your heart, your ability to see things. God wants you to see Jesus. And the type of person that sees Jesus are the type who say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to change something. My situation is broken. And when Jesus stops and says, come here, you say, I'm, I'm getting rid of everything that's keeping me from you. I've got to get to you. And when Jesus says, what do you want? You say, I want to see you. And he sees him. This is what churches call Christian growth. Christian growth is growing in your dependence on Jesus, stripping away things that are keeping you from running after him and getting to him and saying, I want to see you. I want to run light. I want to cast aside every hindrance. I want to run long because this is a marathon and I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made your way well. And immediately he recovered his sight. But whose way did he follow? His way. Jesus' way. Jesus said, go your way. And the guy's like, you are my way. You changed me. You're my way. You know, we have this evangelism thing coming up, Revive, where they'll teach you evangelism tips. And I'm probably overly optimistic a little bit, you know, um, idealistic in this sort of way. But I, I think that evangelism, classes are good. But at the end of the day, I think evangelism of the church family is really dependent on the picture that is painted for you guys, from the songs and the times of prayer in between services and the messages and the small groups. Because if something amazing is happening in your life, you tell people about it. The reason I know is because I know everything that's gone on in the game of gnomes. The reason I know is because the Avengers Endgame, where in the end, um, what's his name dies? I'm just playing. The reason I know is because when you like something, you tell people about it. So the goal on these Sundays is to get you to see Jesus, love Jesus, connect to Jesus, so that you want to go out and tell somebody about it. We don't need to have an evangelism class. We're doing it to help people. But at the end of the day, if people aren't evangelizing, I sit at home thinking, we've got to lift Jesus up higher and more tangibly, more viscerally, so they go out and they're like, end game. You're talking about Jesus returning, Right? So that they're so in love with Jesus, so that you're so in love with Jesus that you can't help but to talk about it. Because this isn't, this is not church. This is the church gathering. And now the, soon it's going to be the church leaving. To go be the church in your neighborhood. To go be the church in your restaurants. To go be the church at the daycares where your kids go or the schools where you teach or your places of work. Go be the church and tell people the good news that has captured your heart. That once you were blind and now you see. Once you were helpless, but now you've been helped. Once you were dead, and now you live. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the restoration of our sight. 
the restoration of our heart toward you. The fact that you took out a stone, broken and busted heart, and you replaced it with a beating flesh heart for you. Lord, help those in this room who do not see to see. Help those in this room who do not believe, believe. Lord, only by your power can we even come to you. So I, I pray that you would break through hard hearts and help them. Lord, help those who are following you in this room today who have blinded themselves in some area to get vision, who have been negative or not compassionate or not concerned. Help us to have your compassion and concern in such a way that we crave caring for those kids who don't have moms and dads, that we long to spend time with widows and widowers, that we, that we generously give to push back the darkness and to help the poor and hungry and thirsty, and that we love one another well in this faith community so that others can look in at our love for one another and say, there's something amazing about that family. God, build that up in this place. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.